welcome to Plato's Gravity. I'm Aaron, and I am wearing pants. You, you're wearing pants. Yeah, and it was called into question as to whether or not I am wearing pants. By whom? By uh, uh, multiple people. Multiple people. Oh, you don't want to give it away. I haven't said it yet. Yeah. By what's your name? Jason. All right, it's Jason. This is Aaron. This is Aaron. That's Jason, and we're here. We're very excited to welcome John Blickman to the show. John, thanks for taking the time to to. Uh, come on the show and also bring us uh, some of your beer. John Blickman, of course, is the president of uh, Blickman Engineering. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, and sunny Brookston. It's, well, it's, it's mostly it's, sunny. It's mostly it's sunny, sunny Brookston. now. Yeah. There, there it was, rained like hell earlier today. Yeah. No, there was, a, um, there was one of those ass trees that we saw that had fallen down. It was like, a big there, tree. Yeah, there was one of the, it was, in fact, a big ass tree. <laughs> a big ass tree had fallen <laughs> down. On our drive-in. It was... It was uh, but was, I'm pumped. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> he's been holding... I mean, we, I heard that like three times on the way in. Shut up. <laughs> you heard nothing? I heard nothing. Uh, before we go uh, any further, I want to uh, shout out to Tom and Michelle at Creation Brewing for hosting us uh, yet again. They're very gracious hosts. We basically live here now. We... Uh, yeah. I asked them if I could leave a couple microphones here so I didn't have to keep uh, bringing, <laughs> them, bringing them back and forth. So that's uh, very kind of, of them. So thank you guys. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, I like to talk about what we have first on the show. So, um, there's a lot of firsts today. One, you're the first person on the show from the homebrewing industry, really. Uh, so that's exciting. We've had a couple professional brewers on. We've had a lot of homebrewers on, but, uh, we're excited to have someone from the uh, homebrewing industry join us on the show. All right. Uh, I, I feel a, privileged. A professional homebrewer, yeah. if you will. Yeah. We also, uh, it's the first time that a, someone's homebrew will be the, uh, the beer for the show. So can you talk about the beer that we're going to drink today? Yes, it's a uh, triple mashed uh, American barley wine, and uh, it is the experimental result of learning of uh, doing some uh, uh, sequential mashing, is what we've called it. I've heard people call it iterative mashing and mm-hmm. different things. But uh, I, and I did that uh, work with John Palmer. He was writing his new book and uh, had run across a, a chart that said that uh, uh, your starting gravity is. Uh, directly and only related to your water to grist ratio okay so he and jamil uh who really don't like to actually do the hard work <laughs> they just want someone to test said it. well you, you know said okay blickman you're gonna do it so all right <laughs> i spent uh from five in the morning till five at night doing three mashes in a row cool. and uh and and proved that his data was right i actually was just texting john i said don't tell me the result because i don't want to you, you don't want to know if it was. i don't i don't know if it's right or wrong i'm just giving you data so, so. is is that at, at that point is is it how rewarding is it at the end of the day like when you're done with a 12-hour brew day right what's that feel like it feels great to be done <laughs> Sure. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, you know, part of the reason for the iter- doing three times is probably uh, maybe a, a bit overkill for what someone might choose to do again. But if you had some smaller equipment and you were trying to get some high gravity into a beer, is doing a, a double mash? Double mash is where I would I would stop there. Yeah. The trip, you know, I even say, you know, there's really there's no shame in adding extract. Sure. Uh, to get to the gravity that you want deal i'm doing yeah. it and if and if you're if you're just wanting if you really enjoy the whole process like to experiment and do that then you know doing it with the grain is is uh you know it was fun to do it was interesting um and it and what was really neat is it really turned out uh this the specific gravity started the same as if i had mashed it all at once so uh did did uh did john palmer or someone else do the the single mass version with the with the with the same amount of grain and water 
Uh, no, but it was, you know, using the, you know, if you were to use like a, a beer smith. Yeah, the software, it was yeah. right, it was right mm-hmm. on the number. Right, yeah. yeah. And it, and it uh, uh, met the chart, you know, so we did the equivalent um, uh, water to grist ratio, and it turned out the same when I did three mashes. And, and I hit that number that uh, they were talking about. And, and uh, even, you know, so all the diff- the single, the first go, the second go, and the third go all uh, hit, all right, right hit the on date on the chart. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty amazing. So um, for our, our uh, especially nerdy inclined folks uh, who might include me, uh, <laughs> are you adjusting the, the mass pH for each of the masses? Each of the masses? In this case, I did not. Okay. Because I was using the exact same wort. So I started with the water uh, uh, chemistry that I would have used uh, if I were doing all of the grain at once. Sure. So, okay. And the mash pH is pulled in just fine. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to fuddle too much with your, with, with your mash pH if you're going to use a beer software and then just split the grist in half. Right. Mm-hmm. All, right. all right. That's, uh, that's especially good, especially because the new Beersmith has amazing water tools. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. Oh yeah, with it yeah, sure does. It's, mm-hmm. it's super sweet. It's one of my one of my favorite things. So, Aaron's Aaron's looking at me right now. For for the listeners at home, Aaron's giving me a weird look because I was going to say something and then I just do, wanted do, to commentate. Do, on Do you have it, or am I going to go? No, with my no. Question? I guess my my question was how much of the math, um, how much of the math in Beersmith? Like, do we know how much of the math is chemistry and how much math is just based on experimentation? You know, I think a lot of it is is different. Like, uh, you know, like the hop uh, uh, utilization, you know, with Tinsith and, yeah. and and the numbers. A lot of that is uh, empirically based, where they, you know, they will just do some measurements and then try to generate, uh, you know, an equation that represents is representative of that. Yeah. But then they're saying, you know, I guess you know a lot of it is you know like the efficiency of uh, uh, of, of grains. I mean, right. you get that from your uh, malt uh, uh, manufacturer, and they actually measure it. So, I mean, yeah. that's pretty hard data and, and pretty simple math after that. Uh, water chemistry, um, you know, that's – I'm not a chemist. Right. Uh, Palmer's actually a, uh, uh, a material science okay. engineer, a metallurgical engineer. and uh, But he somehow really took a liking to this whole water thing. But, yeah. Um, but that's that's pretty well – uh, understood science as well, right. but where it where it gets a little less understood is how those uh, uh, salts interact in the mash itself. So you know when when you're just trying to get certain concentrations of, of different chemicals, that's pretty straightforward. Right. You know it's that interaction with the mash and and uh, what you use when you especially when you're bringing in dark malts and crystal malts and where they're going to add their own right. jazz to it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of difficult. So I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, you, you kind of have an awesome opportunity because of your place in the industry to get to do, you know, experiments for John Palmer and things like that that are going to go into published books. But can you talk about how you got started? Yeah, I, uh, I, I was living in Houston. I was working at Caterpillar and, and living in Houston at the time. And uh, we got invited over to a friend of my uh, wife's and uh, uh, walked in uh, for dinner and walked in and he's got this cooler with a bunch of oatmealy nasty looking crap in it and i'm like what the what the hell are you doing he says i'm making beer and this was like in 91 okay and i was like what you know i remember my dad having these little cans of of, uh you know red white and blue or malt extracts yeah yeah Yeah. and and doing that but um 
So he said, do you want to try some? And I tried some and it was like, wow, this is really good. You know, and, and all grain brewing back in 91 was not very common. So, so, so your exposure at, in 91 was to someone who was brewing all grain? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, is, that, is, that is impressive. Yeah, so, so we ended up moving maybe three months after that and, uh, and moved up to Lafayette. And, uh, and as soon as we got settled in, I just went down to uh, the local homebrew supply store that was in Indianapolis. And, uh, and that's when I uh, – that was actually before Anita owned it. And there was this – We are, in fact, talking about great fermentations. Yes. Yeah. 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 Great fermentations is my local, local homebrew yeah. supply store. Yeah. We, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've drank some homebrew there. Yeah. And we've, yeah. Well, we've shared Super place. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. You know, so that, that's, you know, really – you know, and I started doing extract batches and, you know, had a couple that were classified as dump and brow. Right. Uh, but, you know, learned and, and, you know, the information was pretty much just what you learned at the uh, homebrew supply store. And Charlie Papazian had pretty much the only book at the time, Joy right. Homebrewing. You know, so, you know, that's where I learned about, you know, all grain and started, you know, started doing some of those and um, and moving past the dusty cans of John Bull malt extract. That's with right. the, you know, pre-hopped and all that. So you can't get it pale enough. It's Yeah, it's, yeah. So, so before that point, though, was there an interest in making your own beer, or was it just, oh, this is interesting, this new experience, maybe I should try this? Well, I was an accomplished beer drinker in college, but it was, <laughs> but it was mostly the Bud Bud Miller Coors. Yeah, well, I mean, at that point, there really isn't that much outside. No, of that, there really right? wasn't. Uh uh-uh. uh yeah. And you know, and it was a little bit of an epiphany. You know, when I tasted his beer, it was like, wow, this has just got completely different flavors of anything that I've really tried before. Right. I mean, there may have been Amberbach, but I don't even remember if, right. if that was out then. Well, yeah. I mean, Heineken would have been fancy. You could taste yeah. all that oxygen. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Light yeah. struck. Yeah. Uh, all that skunk, you know. Yeah. It's... Uh, so, yeah. So that was really kind of the epiphany. And, and then I love hobbies and gadgets and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so I started doing some all grain brewing and there re- really was nothing that existed as far as, you know, uh, you know, pre-manufactured equipment and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, found a kettle here and, you know, rigged up a little stand there out of, you know, some shelving pieces and, you know, so kind of Frankenstein something together. Yeah. And you, you in your, your Frankensteining, you've gone from Frankensteining homebrew stuff in the 90s to owning Blickman Engineering where you're solving problems for people at all, you know, uh, up into some smaller brewery scales mm-hmm. and to the the low the lowest homebrew scales. What's the f- what's the first thing you made to brew with? It where was you felt like I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do this for other people. It was it was really the fermenter, the our, okay. our conical fermenter, and you know so I had I had start uh, uh, started uh, brewing and when when I first did the first all grain batch, like boy, this is a bunch of work and a bunch of time. I'm going to make ten gallons if I'm going to do this. Right. You know, so I got some bigger kettles and. And but then I kept having to mess around with all these different carboys, you know. And at that time, you were also, you know, you, you had to do a secondary in a in a different right. vessel. That was the thing because because people would would shame you if you didn't, right? Yeah, it's like of course that's just what you do, uh, you know. So I'm you know jockeying around all these you know different uh, carboys and things like boy, it'd be really nice to have a bigger. Thing. So I found this uh, a big Nalgene like twelve gallon plastic jug mm-hmm. thing nice and mm-hmm. had a had a couple of decent batches out of it and then all of a sudden it just started making some funk and you mm. know so there was something there. i was like well i gotta do something different and i you know i saw you know a couple uh people with some 
uh, conicals made out of the Toledo metal spinning tanks. Okay. And so I thought, I you know. I, well, I don't even know what that is. A Toledo metal spinning tank? It's, uh, it's going to be in the shoats. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, Toledo metal spinning is a company in Toledo. Okay. And, uh, and they make hoppers, just industrial hoppers. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was talking with Anita down there about, you know, I think I'm going to make, you know, uh, you know, some of these because it was like there's no way I'm going to get two of these past my wife and spend that kind of money. Right, right. You know, so I had this harebrained idea that I'm going to make five of these and sell three of them on this new thing that was kind of cool called eBay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm going to sell that on eBay, and that will pay for the other ones, and that's how I'm going to get this past my wife. And uh, Anita suggested, have you ever thought about ma- just making these for the – uh, the homebrew industry because there's really nobody uh, making these things and distributing them through the retailers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, hmm, and that's how I got started. All right. So and it was really like <clears throat> really from go the first thing that you that you kind of uh, manufactured that wasn't you know just pulling old parts together is something that was for a market test. Yeah, yeah. That's you awesome. know, and it was it was something I was going to make for myself, and uh, you know, I thought I'd make some extras, and then just kind of thought, you know, this would be kind of fun to you know have a little side job and fund my hobby, and you know that kind of thing. And you're and, like still at Caterpillar. When oh yeah, you're, yeah. I was still an engineer at Caterpillar. Yeah. So what what's the product? So the the, the conical fermenters kind of get you going. What what's the product that takes you to the next level? I think one of the products that really got us well known was the beer gun. Right. For sure. You know, it was a not that Aaron talks about that almost every episode. <laughs> we did a we did a listener poll of uh, I, I I put up your the the Blickman products uh, several of your most common Blickman products and asked mm-hmm. people's favorite was and I, uh, the Blickman beer gun was by far the the most favorite. So yeah, yeah, that's that's one where we just get lots of compliments on and you know people say I love that thing. Um, we it was it was funny they did a study of bottle fillers at craft brewers conference. Okay. And uh, the beer gun was one that they selected. They had Maheen. They had uh, some of the big Crohn's machines and, sure. you know, a number of different uh, fillers. The only one that beat us as far as uh, uh, dissolved oxygen was a quarter million dollar Crohn's machine. Wow. That's amazing. Now, granted, it can bottle a little faster than the beer gun. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know how quick you are on the draw, but uh, maybe, maybe you, know you can't uh, can't For a quarter that. million dollars, uh, you can't beat the price. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's. You don't, do you have that? Uh, you got that? Well, I mean, I, I have on, on on the kegerator that I'm going to build. I have some some like twenty nine dollar uh, flow control things that I got on a super great deal. And I was looking on the internet, and I saw for like four hundred and eighty dollars, I could have a, a a tap panel that'll pour beer in two seconds. And I'm like, yeah, it was four hundred dollars. You know how much my time is worth? I can wait for. I can wait three more seconds. You know how long it would take me to pay myself back? And you wouldn't get the enjoyment of watching that beer. Uh, watching it in there. Yeah, the anticipation, starting the drool. Yeah, that's uh, for if you're. Uh, I, I know there's probably some homebrewers who have those bad boys at home, but those are obviously for people trying to make a lot of money selling beer quicker. I know uh, at a bar. I can't. I can't imagine. But that's that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. So, uh, actually, one of our one of our listeners and one of our former guests, uh, uh, Brandon from Exit Twelve Brewery, asked me to ask you. Like, it, like if you could give him some advice on how to use the beer gun most efficiently. The the, the key thing with how the beer gun works, uh, up to this point, everything had been counter pressure. So you fill the bot, you pressurize the bottle at the same pressure as the keg, and then right. you gradually release the pressure and let the beer flow. And the whole idea is uh, that CO2 stays in suspension because it's not changing pressure, it's not really changing temperature, so there's nothing that's causing it to want to come out of solution. Right. Um, however, 
there's a lot of valves involved, and if you get one going the wrong way, you got beer on the ceiling, and I got instructed by my wife that that shouldn't ever happen again. If you ever want to be entertained, watch Aaron use a I have a counter-pressure bottle filler, and yeah. it is... Hilarious. It's fun. It's not worth it. I should have a beer I get wet. It, it, it's, it's, it's not worth entertaining. it. Entertaining. Um, yeah. Anyway. Plus ours, not that you're telling us ours has a valve that's broken, so I don't actually What the fuck did you do? Shut up. It was it came broken and I'm cheap. Um so we don't actually have a pressure release valve. I just squeeze the bung and I'm pretty I've gotten pretty want, good at it. I want did he just say squeeze the bung? I did. <laughs> he did. I want I want I want uh uh it came broken and I'm cheap. I want that on a shirt and squeeze the bung. <laughs> squeeze the bung. So anyway, if uh if I wasn't cheap and I had a beer gun, how uh and he he specifically said how long do you how long do you hit it with gas when you fill? I usually give it a a, a count to 10. Okay? And and that generally you're you're not going to get every little bit of oxygen out of it. Right. But what you will do is get the bottom flooded. And then, uh, you know, and the key thing, how the beer gun works is we slowly change the pressure uh, okay. d- from keg pressure down to atmospheric pressure. And that's why we have that 10-foot hose. Okay. So it gives it a lot of slow, you know, it slows the, the flow down. And it um, uh, you'll drop the keg pressure down to about half of what your dispensing pressure is. Okay. And... Um, it just quietly flows through there, and we have a non-throttling valve. So like a ball valve or those kind of things are a throttling valve. Right. And they have a, just a sudden change of pressure. So with the beer gun, it just comes right off the seat instantly, and there's no, uh, there's no throttling. So that's how we get the beer to get into the bottle um, and start filling. And as you're filling from the bottom up, it's really just kind of pushing the CO2 back out of the bottle. Right. And, uh, and then you uh, either cap on foam or right. give it a shot of uh, CO2 in the headspace and, and cap. And if you are having any troubles with uh, foaming... Uh, Get good. <laughs> make sure your valve's not broken. Right. The valve is broken. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, and as one of the things people have done is um, uh, just chill the bottles. Right. So if you, right, right. Because then you're not changing temperature either. So... Uh, but it's been a super successful product. Probably the most common problem we see with, with foaming is people that have overcarbonated their beer by, you know, what I call speed gassing, where you crank the pressure right. up to 30 PSI for a day and then do this and then do that. Um, you'll get carbonation in there, but it's really, really difficult mm-hmm. to control how much. Um, you know, so I always, you know, I always, I'm a patient brewer, so I'll set it at my dispensing pressure and right. temperature. And let it sit for that seven to ten days because it's it's maturing, it's you know acclimating, and you know things are settling, and um, you know that's the way I do it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we usually do the hybrid, or I usually do the hybrid. I shake it enough to get it about halfway home, Mm -hmm. and then I let it sit for the three or four days. Yeah. Now, if you're if you leave it at the key thing is not to exceed that dispensing right. You know the carbon pressure. It's hard to come down. Yeah, Yeah. but you can shake it. That's fine. That's not going to cause any more uh, CO two to go into solution than wants to be there. uh, You know, by natural equilibrium. So, well, actually, uh, in terms of the beer gun like issues, the 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 people who I've talked to who have had issues seem to be using it wrong based on what 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 you just said. So, they're worried about carbonation loss. So they bump up the serving pressure on the keg to like four or five psi above what they what they want and you're saying you should actually that's really gonna that's gonna really blast it out of there right yeah so what you want to do is um you know the co2 is going to stay in there unless you give it 
a reason a big to come out. Ch- yeah, a reason to come out. A big change in equilibrium. Okay. You know, or a sudden change in equilibrium. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you have your bottle on the counter, the carbonation doesn't come out of it. If you drop it on the counter, all of a sudden it all foams up and starts shooting right. because you've given it a sudden. So really, uh, people, if, they, if you don't not think the room, <laughs> you don't lose carbonation. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Yeah. You're not trying to add think the room. So that's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Um, so, but 10 seconds, in terms of just answering Brandon's question, 10 seconds, we'll do it on, on the gas in the bottle. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's plenty, you know, five to five to ten seconds. And it all depends, too, if you have a splitter on your CO2 tank, sure. uh, which I do. I run my um, uh, my purging pressure at a higher pressure, so okay. I run it at, like, 15 or 20 PSI. So then I can purge the bottle in about five seconds. Okay, nice. Get you know, a little so. speed. But if you're going at the same pressure, it's just going to come out a little slower, so you have to wait a little longer. Trying to catch up to that. Works. Trying to catch up to that bottling machine? That's right. <laughs> Two-handed. Two-handed. Two double double beer guns. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, it is. It is. You have it's one-handed operation, right? You can. You it can, is. Yeah. And I'm a lefty, so I made sure that the uh, the product was ambidextrous. So. So uh, let's go. Let's. We, we talked about kind of how you got there and a couple of products that that, that kind of were were big deals for you. Um, what would you say is the most enjoyable part about being the president of Blickman Engineering now? It's really just fun to go into work and and just develop beer products and you know find that next problem that's annoying the you know you know the the brewers and figure out something to solve it. Um, you know a, a recent one was uh, you know realizing that a lot of people want to drink their beer right away and they're not as patient as me. Right. And we developed the quick carb. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know and just that whole development process of how we you know how we do this economically how we yeah. you know make it. Um, you know, rob- you know, a robust design, meaning, you know, super easy to use. It's not, you know, real sensitive to technique and, and all these that, you know, it's real easy and intuitive to use. And um, had no idea how many impatient people there were out there, but I appreciate it. <laughs> there are. A, yeah, it's good. It's good for business, right? Impatience <laughs> it is, is good yeah. for business. Uh, speaking of other things that are good for business, you guys have uh, a, a fair number of, of, of nano breweries and breweries of a, like, what's the biggest commercial system that you guys will sell? Uh, the biggest one that we've sold is ten barrels. Ten barrels, okay. And and we're really trying to focus more on that that nano uh, uh, market. You know, so I would say like I would call that seven barrel and below. Okay. Um, that's where you know a lot of our customer base is. You know, a lot of those brewers that are uh, going from uh, home brewers and, and want to be pro brewers, they know the brand. Um, you know, probably seen us at shows, and uh, uh, and you know we're, we we kind of understand you know, how to get people there because we've been doing that for years and years with our, uh, you know, I think we came out with our one barrel kettles in 2008. Sure. You know, so we've, you know, we've sold hundreds of those and, um, and we just started expanding it into, you know, bigger systems and, but we really want to stay in that area where we, you know, we know and, um, and really focus and do well there. Right. How, so if I may, you know, you guys ha- having put a, a bunch of systems into some smaller breweries, uh, how much do breweries lean on you for advice, not just about brewing equipment, but other, other brewing stuff? Uh, quite a bit, you know, and, and a lot of it is, hey, where do I get this? Where do I get that? Um, how do I size my system? You know, how, how many tanks do I need? And, and we've got, um, you know, a lot of tools to help with that little, you know, spreadsheet calculators on, you know, this is how much beer I want. And you can back that up to this is right. how much equipment you know what size equipment you know how many times a week do you want to brew um uh that sort of thing and you know so we can help you know with that guidance i've done 
a number of presentations at uh, conferences on uh, nano brewing and sure. podcasts on nano brewing and and it's it's really great to be able to just help and a lot of that is stuff that you know we've learned over the years and uh, you know we've learned helping people and it you know and that's another thing it's it's fun is just being able to go out and just help people achieve their dreams um, right. you know, I've got, we've got one that we're doing in my, uh, just outside of my hometown, uh, Dubuque, Iowa is where I grew up and oh, nice. we're putting a brewery in, in, uh, Dyersville just outside. It's just kind of neat seeing, you know, people in my hometown that, you know, area that I can help out and, and achieve, you know, their dreams of opening a business, yeah. you know, and having opened a business myself, you know, I completely get it. You know, it's a lot of, you know, risk and a lot of money and, you know, you're, you know, really putting yourself out there, quitting your day job. Yeah. Right. You well, and I imagine had like someone else been doing what it is you do now that could have given you advice at that point would have made life a heck of a lot easier. Sure would. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, even then, you know, I knew people, uh, you know, I knew a guy that uh, was a branding and marketing, uh, sure. owned a branding and marketing company. Yeah. And he gave me some advice on that. I was like, wow. So I always make every attempt, you know, when I hear people are starting business, hey, here's something you should think about. Yeah. And, you know, I knew people, I knew people that were accountants. Hey, what do I need to do here? Um, and you know, I always try to help people out, you know, and, and just kind of play it forward. So absolutely. So can you talk about uh, having seen and, and kind of been involved with a bunch of, of these, uh, nano brewing startups? And again, most of our audience is homebrewers, uh, and many of whom aspire mm-hmm. to yeah. do, to do that same thing. Um, what have you seen, uh, among the people who, who what have you worked seen? with that works, that works really well? Like, we, you know, if you might see a, a, a guy that's or a guy or a gal that's going to start a, a nano brewery. What kind of characters uh, in them or, or things about how they're going about their business make you think, you know, this one's going to work? Really what it boils down to is, and that was a really bad, completely intended pun. <laughs> but, um, it's beautiful. It's, uh, really what it boils down puns. to is the people who understand it's a business. Okay. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many homebrewers that make fantastic beer. Sure. So that's generally not the problem is them being able to make great beer. Mm. Um, what it really is is understanding um, – and understanding this is a business and it's to make money and and you know and it's not to make money out of greed it's to make money to survive right you know so that you can do what you want to do and um you know so that um at the nanocon um that's coming up this fall they had another they had their first one last november i think it's this this, is november Mm -hmm. Uh, a big part of that is talking about the financial aspect of uh running a uh a brewery and there's just a lot to it and being able to put a business plan together and understand um, that it's not just you're not just doing that so that you can go to a bank and and hope that they give you money. You're doing that so you understand what you really need to do to make a business successful, yeah. how much cash you need, and uh, you know what your expansion plans are, or or just even knowing you know hey I am I'm not going to distribute. I am only going to do tap room. Right. You know and understand the difference that uh, seven dollars a pint versus two dollars a pint makes yeah it's five dollars a pint yes that's <laughs> i was this was this was for the california and that's <laughs> new york folks at seven dollars a pint but yeah i mean just that difference between being able to get sell that pint for five bucks versus right. sell that pint for i'm you know, at the difference between seven two. and two but at this point yeah. so i'll take it oh, no, i don't, like I don't know what tom bucks. sells here's his for uh, five dollars a pint here american yeah. there you go dollars yeah. Aaron, but, no, I, I think that's. American I think that's really interesting uh, because it is. You know, I, I think a lot. Uh, Jason and I have talked about about. Oh, maybe one day in the future when we have less uh, financial. Was I in this com- conversation? Come on, you just don't listen. Uh, we talked about opening a brewery, sweetheart. Come oh. on, <laughs> a home brewery. <laughs> a home brewery. What? Well, I, I think that's what it's going to stay at because I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to run a brewing business. I want to make beer. 
Uh, you know, and that's another thing for people to recognize too uh, is making your hobby your business can sometimes make it work. Right. You know, and you know, I, I, my hobby is homebrewing, but my business is making homebrewing equipment. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I liken it more to the things I did at Caterpillar, manufacturing and design, that kind of stuff, than I do the homebrewing. Now, it, it really overlaps with homebrewing because, um, you know, we do a lot of homebrewing and we test the equipment and all that. But, yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing too, is just kind of, you know, fully, you know, just kind of reflect about, you know, do you really want to do that for a living? Right. How do you end up? Um, so I don't. I don't know what the. Uh, I don't know how big the homebrew scene is in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, how do you go about testing products? Uh, other than, is it just you and your team testing the products, or is it? Do you send these out to people? We generally start with our own testing. Okay. You know, sometimes we'll go out and we'll talk to some key retailers and, mm. and ask them about, hey, what do you think about this kind of product and what kind of price point, you know, and that kind of thing, you know, so that we just have an idea of, well, is it even feasible to manufacture such a thing at that sure. kind of price point? Um, so we do most of the, the testing, and we've got, you know, probably half the people at the company are brewers. Um, um, and and then we'll we'll involve some retailers, and sometimes mm. we'll have some uh, uh, some people in our local homebrew club, like uh, Lloyd Chatham and, you know, nice come in and we, we even had the club come in one time and, and just kind of did a, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a survey on, on uh, product features and different things yeah. like that. So that seems like a nice uh, homebrew club field trip. So yeah, yeah it'd be a great homebrew club field trip. So I'm like, what are we going to do? We're going to go to the place where they make all the, the fancy, the fancy <laughs> all the uh, top of the line equipment. Another listener Let's question is, can you give us any spoilers of upcoming products while we're talking about product development? Well, that has bitten us in the butt before when we have production yep. delays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no. But we did just come out with uh, uh, a a really interesting new bottle capper for okay. uh, for the Anvil line. So our Anvil line is more of our. Um, it's uh, the line for me. Yeah, it's 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 the budget line. It's a uh, well, I would say, but it's I'll, I'll cut that out. It's it's a more <laughs> more. Uh, affordable and not quite as many features sure you know the blickman line is is more feature rich you know really high end and the anvil line is you know we call it durable reliable quality i like sure. the idea that aaron aaron's cutting out the it's the line for me it's the more affordable one i'm gonna cut you're gonna cut out no i'm gonna the, cut out the, the word you af- don't I, wanna, i'm gonna cut out the word affordable and let him use I think his marketing that's a delightful terms of, term i would much rather prefer you're making affordable me, to more people you're making yeah. the editing much harder oh, by continuing to talk about it this is <laughs> This, in, this entire trip up here, Aaron's been uh, asking me, like, would you trade your car for that car? And they've always been, like, really nice, expensive cars. And I'm the kind of guy who won't trade my Mazda 3 for that really expensive car because the Mazda 3 was fucking... You know what it was? It was affordable. It was affordable? I, affordable is good stuff, so I guess we'll... Uh, but you could trade it and then sell the other one this and is then what buy we the other one back. This is the conversation we talked about. Pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's even a newfangled thing called eBay. There's a, <laughs> there is. I've heard of that. I've heard yeah, of that. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so uh, let's talk about a project that I uh, that, that I'm super excited about. You also just came out with the the Foundry, mm-hmm. which is uh, in the Anvil line. It's a uh, it's a it's an all in one type type setup. Yeah, uh, it has mm-hmm. that add on package with the with the pump. So you recirculation can pump. Recirculate yep. the mash. Uh, yeah, we put fantastic. the pump on the outside instead of in the inside, where it takes half an hour to take it out to clean it, and right. if it gets stuck plugged up and 
Uh, so yeah, we put that all on the outside, made it a lot. We really simplified, uh, you know, does the same thing, but much simpler and, uh, you know, easier to clean and take care of. And as a, uh, as a, as a fellow engineer, anytime you can simplify things, there is no better feeling than making a, making a machine simpler. Yeah. It's just, Oh, it feels so good. We've always said that something is perfect when there is nothing left to remove. Mm. I like it. Those are beautiful words. I like mm-hmm. it. I think we'll. Uh, I, I think we'll uh, let that lead us into the break, uh, and then we will. Uh, we'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll talk. We'll, we'll have a little fun. Uh, uh, we'll have a little fun with some tap on tap and see if Jason asks us questions. Awesome. All right. Sweet. I hope you enjoyed the musical interlude that was, was Jason's. Fine. Jason's a fan. You guys have heard it uh, week, week over week. It's pretty good. Uh, John, uh, welcome back after the break. I, I want to run through, uh, as I mentioned over the break, a couple of questions before we get to the fun parts of the show. So can you talk about the, uh, the favorite piece of equipment that you sell? My favorite piece of equipment, actually, the, the piece of equipment that's my most favorite in my brewery is my commercial sink. Mm. Now do you yeah. got, <laughs> don't make that. You don't but, make a commercial sink. No, I love that, and my big commercial mop bucket. But uh, of of my equipment is it's probably my brew easy. I just really enjoy brewing on that on that system. Yeah, I think you mentioned you mentioned on the break that you you when you were originally testing it, you you brewed on it and you thought, oh, I'll brew this for testing, and then you just never gave it up. Yeah, I've you know my I had a horizontal uh, three tier system. Uh, or a three kettle system, uh, and you know, electric was burning in the basement with it, mm-hmm. and, and I thought, and then we developed the brewery for compact spaces and things, and I was like, okay, this, you know, that's a, you know, it's a cool product, you know, be great for you know people with space limitations and uh, all that, and then I started brewing on it, and well, it's kind of nice, and brewing on it more, and, and you're like, ah, and, and I was pretty soon I was like, nah, I'm not going back to, yeah, just, I'm, I'm just gonna, just gonna keep, gonna uh, brewery, yeah. it's right in the name, it's it's easy, yeah. So a lot of people are kind of surprised that I, I stick uh, with that system. But, man, it makes uh, great work, and uh, it's a lot of fun to use. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so can you talk about uh, who the person in the homebrewing industry that you're most excited, uh, you get to meet a lot of people, uh, to meet and have a beer with? Well, it, it really would be a close tie between uh, Charlie Papazian and John Palmer. The two, the, the, the two books everyone needs to read if they haven't read them already, if you're a home brewer. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so... I mean, the, the, the men are actually great, but they both wrote books. I'm sorry. I called yeah. them books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Charlie was... The uh, Joy of Homebrewing was the first book that got me introduced into uh, uh, beer brewing. It was really one of the you know, only you know, pieces of information out there. And then shortly after, you know, reading uh, Palmer's uh, How book to and... Yeah. And, you know, meeting, you know, just seeing them at a show, you know, at the National Homebrewers Conference. And it was uh, it was pretty cool. So I imagine so in, in the homebrew circles that, that I run in, we get to drink. We get to drink a lot of homebrew and there's some good homebrewers and then there's some homebrewers and then there's. <laughs> so but you're running, you're running in, in, that, in, uh, in circles. Is that shade with, that you're throwing, sir? Uh, Are you throwing shade right now? <laughs> Listen, I, I might be at the bottom end of that sometimes. You, OK, we, we've had <laughs> sometimes. So you're 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 kind of hanging out with some homebrewers who have been around the block a few times. So can you talk about like what's the most uh, memorable homebrew that you've had? I know that might be a difficult one. Of, one of the most memorable was the first time I'd had a uh, a beer with uh, peppers in it. And it was okay. it was a chili uh, I think it was a chili pepper Kolsch. 
Ooh, and so I would not, not have put those two things together because yeah. I thought that would, you know, just be it would kill the, just the not course, enough yeah. flavor to go with that kind of spice. Yeah. And it was this heat up front that just quickly faded. And, oh man! And it was just amazing. Who's who's is that? <clears throat> I I couldn't, couldn't I yeah. can't remember. It was yeah. at a I, it was at a National Homebrewers Conference. Oh sure, so it was just, just a few people there so, sharing beer. Yeah, lot, there's a lot of beer happening. At, uh, there. Oh yeah, yeah. So and then uh, is, so you you go to the you do some commercial stuff you go to the Nano Brew, Nano Brew Con uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you go to to what's your favorite and craft brewers conference craft as brewers well. conference yeah. homebrew homebrewers Con- national homebrewers conference what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite uh, event of the year I'd say that my favorite event is is probably Homebrew Con uh, national homebrewers conference they changed the name to Homebrew Con yeah, that's uh, right. just because it's my, it's my people. You know, it's homebrewers right. and, you know, just good folk and, uh, you know, and uh, I, I've just always enjoyed that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun. Jason and I need to, to head out there and, and have some fun there. So is, is there a piece of equipment that you guys have looked at making that, that hasn't, hasn't made it to production that you wished had? Uh, well, yes and no. There's, you know, we, we rank our products based on, you know, what we think people will, you know, will really want. You know, you know we do those to make money so we can fund uh, new projects to, yeah. you know, uh, to develop. And that's why Tom makes the honey <laughs> red. Yeah. So we, uh, we've got $4 a, if you're in the coaster club, $4. Damn. <laughs> Sorry. So we've got a, a spreadsheet with just lots of different product ideas and, and, you know, we rank them with, you know, all sorts of different factors and, uh, and work them from the top down. And, uh, uh, you know, so yeah, there's some products that, you know, we'd like to get to, and sometimes we work them a little out of order because we just really think that'd be a fun thing to develop. And like, yeah, I want, like yeah. That, I want that. I want that at home. <laughs> yeah, there, that's like, right. Let's have that. Is, it, is is there like a a, a failed? Well, not necessarily. Is there a a product graveyard for things that um, just ran their course in life and now they're just people didn't need them anymore? Something the industry moved on, and now that we're not manufacturing them, that you miss? Well, um. You know, we used to sell more of the the vertical systems, sure, like, mm. like the you know we, ours is the the top like the tier tower power, uh, and um, and now we're you know we've supplanted that more with our horizontal systems, sure. that we have. You know, more people are moving inside the garage or moving in the basement, and uh, you know, going electric and you know horizontal is just an easier way to go there. And a lot of that stemmed from people were just terrified of pumps for years, sure. <laughs> You know, it, you know, because it's just going to contaminate stuff, and it's going to oxygenate stuff, and it's going to make all these bad things happen. And you know, this whole time I'm thinking, well, all these other breweries use pumps, and their beer doesn't taste like mule piss, so yeah. I don't know what the problem just, is. There but, just is oxygen yeah. everywhere; it just exists everywhere, and it's, some of it's going to get in there at some yeah. point. So you know, gravity was just a great way to to go. You know, right. and it was, and, and a lot of that had to do with it was just simple. You know, so people use those. Uh, vertical systems because it it was simple it was easy to control and you know and then uh, more people were became more comfortable with pumps and pumps became more affordable and uh, beer got dropped and yeah <laughs> it's alcohol abuse is everyone okay <laughs> that's, um, so I, that's a uh, so you talk about you talk about, uh, about about pumps and I'm excited to get the new pump that's going to come with my with my foundry system when I buy the the add on pack mm-hmm. uh, but, but you have solved- I'm not helping pay for. No, you don't have to help pay for it. Oh. I mean, if you want, you can. I mean, but you just have to clean it. Yeah, you just just have to clean it. It's fine. I, um, I, I, so that comes with with a nice pump. But then, uh, I'll give you some money. Your your Riptide pump solves 
a lot of the problems that brewers had. So can you talk about the like the difference between those two pumps and why I might want to buy the Riptide instead? Uh, the Anvil pump is it's a get the job done pump at an affordable price. Sure. I think the list price on that's like fifty dollars. Yeah, and and we've got some uh, some just simple improvements we've done to the pump. We put some thumb screws on the front so it's really easy to take apart without tools. Nice and clean it. And the easier it is to take it apart to clean, the more likely it will get taken apart to get cleaned. Mm. And, Solve the um, problems. So our so our, so our beer doesn't taste like mule piss. Yes. <laughs> and and put this super high tech thing called a switch on the cord. Oh, nice. You know, so you can turn it on and off. And it's very important. Yeah. yeah. And and that's turning really off what is the thing I'm really good at doing uh, when I'm single. Is, uh, <laughs> turning people off. What's a you're also very good at stretching. I don't. For the listeners home, I was I was stretching. You know, I think it's I think it's time actually, Jason. I think it's time for the off the wall question. You ready? Oh my god! Yeah. Is it actually? It is time. It's for time for Jason's off the wall question. Right. I like to surprise him like this. Okay. Um, this is there. There are a series of questions that will lead up to what is the actual off the wall question. So. I will let you know when we actually reach the off the wall question, but then I just need to gauge where we're at. So, so it's um, going to continue to get more and more strange, and you'll tell me when it's strange enough to talk. Depends on how you define strange. <laughs> um, are you, That's right. Are you, you're exactly right. Are you, are you familiar with the concept of a hologram? Yes. Okay. Are you familiar <clears throat> with the concept of hologram Tupac? No. Okay. So there was a, a rap artist named Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. Um, he died. Tragically, um, in allegedly, a, in in a in a murdering, he was murdered, um, and people loved him. So a few years ago at a music festival, they made a hologram of him at a music festival to perform in in front of people at this festival, which is weird. So it's a hologram of this uh, Tupac. Are you familiar with quantum physics? Not an expert, but yes, that's fair. Neither am I. <laughs> Are you familiar with... I find the concepts a little quirky. <laughs> <laughs> Dig, so it. You're, you're, Dig it. Dig fam- it. That's a, a five-star <laughs> pun right there. That was... Uh, so you're familiar enough, clearly, uh, for uh, uh, some things, but are you familiar with the uh, uh, certain theories that the universe is, in fact, a hologram? Well, I don't know about that, no. Yeah. I, I'm... So there, there are some there are some theories, according to some physicists, uh, that the universe is a hologram. And in fact, this theory is being used to help model uh, some mathematical equations. And it's uh, some people are finding very helpful uh, breakthroughs in number theory and physics have happened because of uh, <coughs> toy models of the universe. Oh yeah. Uh, using the concept that the universe is a hologram. What if, in fact, the universe? Everything that we know to exist, time and reality itself, is in fact a hologram of Tupac. Before you answer, I want to point out to our listeners at home that Jason's been waiting a year, which is how long this podcast has been running, to have an engineer on the show so he could ask a nerdy question. (laughs) John. What concerns me more is, are we drinking holographic beer? Oh, that's... Uh, that's... I don't know that that changes how good it is. I think it's, in fact, not holographic, Uh, which is why the question is asking about holographic Tupac. (laughs) Hold on. Uh, If if there's any more that could happen, so I could just double check. You want the the, the, the barley wine? Okay. Yeah. Now, does this holographic thing happen everywhere in the universe or just if you're flying through a wormhole? 
you remember that whole thing about uh, uh, not being an expert in this field? I believe that um, it happens not when you're flying through a wormhole, but when you are flying through an earthworm. So you have shrunk down to microscopic sizes. Ah. <laughs> Aaron was tickled by that. You're, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for a joke. I thought you were being serious still. Mm-hmm. Well, and you could use this holographic worm to catch a holographic bass. You, you could. Which Tom would have liked to do. Yeah. At the, uh, uh, I can't remember which philosopher it is because I... I was a philosophy major. Try yeah, me. Okay. It's some philosopher who basically his entire theory on everything was... Um, everything could be real, everything couldn't be real, but fuck it, I gotta get up and pay the bills. It's like all the philosophers. (laughs) 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 Like, it's, it's, every philosopher ever has had that thought. Yeah. Okay. Or kind of like along those lines of, it could be real, maybe it's not real, so you're, but does it really friggin' matter? No. So you're, you're, (laughs) I I want to, I want to make sure this is on record. Your official answer is, I didn't. I don't think I officially, officially yeah. answered anything. Okay, what is the official answer? Are we in a Tupac hologram? No, that's not What's the, the question. question. What's the question? The question is not: Are we in a Tupac hologram? What does it mean if we are in a Tupac hologram? We've got some great rap music. Beautiful. Damn. It's all about the music. <laughs> uh, fun fact about Aaron: His uh, uh, one of his favorite songs is the Humpty Dance. It is the Humpty Dance, the Digital from, uh, Underground, uh, the Digital Underground. Yeah. Who uh, listeners may not know uh, at one point had Tupac Shakur as a member. I mean, the Humpty Dance is really at the forefront of music because it, it's you know. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Here's the thing: if you go if you go to the clubs now, I don't do that, but I, I hear that people do, or at weddings. All the rage is songs to tell you how to dance. The Humpty's the first. Yeah, just first uh, you shake uh, to the lot. The, the locomotion? No, 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 no. no that doesn't dance. count. Uh, the chicken dance? Okay, I didn't say uh, I was good at musical popping. The, uh, uh, the thing with the legs where you put them in and out oh, the, and you the shake them? Hokey pokey. The hokey yeah. pokey. All right. Well. I don't want to call the digital underground uh, uh, ripoff artists. I, I mean, the, I guess they are. The, <laughs> the hokey I mean, pokey has been around for quite some time. Yeah, the hokey pokey would have been better if you needed to shake to your side like like your leg was broken. Yeah, no one's Limp to your side. Either. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I think we should get things back on track <laughs> and play a little of Tap on Tap. So I let John uh, John Blickman know before the show I like to give guests hints to maybe give them a chance at, at playing this ridiculously this, difficult game. I love game. the amount of last naming you're doing. Like I mean, full naming. You're it's marketing, right? I'm trying to help it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm on, I, his last name is the name of a company that sells stuff. It's, uh, coinc- it's a coincidence. <laughs> that's right. I like, like, actually, like Beersmith? Yeah. <laughs> the triple entendre of that name upsets me so much. You don't like it. It's fine. Yeah. I just, I, I love it, and it's great software, and it's just so punny that I just want to hug punch him. So, uh, <laughs> so part of this game is I'm going to tell you everything I can except telling you where it's brewed at okay. and the name of the beer. So if it tells me where they drank it and they did not drink it at the brewery, then I will tell you. Uh, Alex G is uh, drinking this beer, and he's drinking it at the brewery. Uh, he said he had a taster, just a taster, and he says, nice touch of chocolate. Alex G. These are, by the way, a surprise to me. I haven't, I haven't read them in a while. Uh, uh, he, oh, he posted a picture of the, of the brewery. It is, there's a weird thing on the ceiling with some lights. That's not a weird thing. That's a canoe. It's a canoe on the ceiling with some lights. With lights hanging out of it. Yeah. Uh, John W. is drinking it, um, and he's also drinking it where it was brewed. So maybe they don't distribute. Maybe they do. I actually I don't know really the answer to that oh. question. Oh, someone didn't do a three-third. Uh, 
good beer with a nice flavor profile. I normally don't like brown ales, but this is a nice beer. Oh, John W. did a nice. He gave you the style. That's, uh, that's nice. Sometimes they just say weird esoteric things. And He's also drinking it on draft. He's drinking it on draft. And he, what badge? he earned the photogenic brew badge, level 35. Oh, so he took a picture. He took a picture. Oh, good for he, him. Uh, he didn't post the picture. Oh. Or I didn't copy the picture onto my, uh, my drive. But uh, chocolatey in a... In a brown it's, ale. It's, chocolatey, it's, a chocolate, it's a chocolate brown ale here in photogenic brew. Um. <clears throat> all right. Uh, Chris M is drinking it. He's also drinking it at the brewery. Again, I'm I'm not sure if they distribute or not, but it's it seems it seems like everyone's drinking it at the brewery on draft. Uh, he's drinking it on draft. Uh, he earned the Wheel of Styles level four badge. Uh, that's not that helpful because we already know. Yeah, I guess I guess he had never had a brown ale before, so uh, <laughs> now now he had. Uh, he says going downtown to grab me a brown. Going Ooh. downtown to grab me a brown. So I'm supposed to guess the style or the beer? Well, you really, well, you, we know it's a brown ale. So if you can guess the brewery and the style. So I gave it. Uh, where, where have I been? Where there's a canoe? There's a canoe. So um, I'm like, did I miss a canoe? On the ceiling? There's no. There's no. The uh, so so I let John know before the show that the brewery I chose to help narrow down a little bit so, so the game wasn't so ridiculously difficult is a brewery uh, that features uh, Blickman Engineering equipment. I feel like there's, pro- is, there's probably a pretty large number of those, aren't there? Yeah, it might not be that much of a limiting factor. <laughs> I'm trying to re- remember if, if Copacetic has got a canoe. Let's narrow it down a little bit. It's in Tennessee. Oh, it's in oh. Tennessee. Oh. Way down there. Okay, Aaron, so that's a hike. A place that I have not been. Yeah. Oh, see, I don't know. I was say, what I did not research is Well, I've how, been to Tennessee, of course. Yeah. But, but a brewery uh, that you have not been. So the canoe is get, no help. Uh, can we narrow it down? Well, hold on. Let's see. Let's see what we've got. I've already seen the answer. It's a, it's a brown ale from Tennessee at a brewery. It's, it's, it's obviously a brewery, a smaller brewery, yeah. which, which makes it difficult for most people. But Because mm-hmm. uh, most people don't know about the smaller breweries that are in Tennessee. Uh, yeah. Let's. Uh, uh-huh. I'm stumped. Yeah. Let's, uh, uh, let's see. What, 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 what town in Tennessee? Uh, yeah. Uh, what town in Tennessee? It is. Uh, I, I like. So, so Aaron actually copied the um, the, the untapped reviews. Sparta. He copied the untapped reviews into a Word document. It's a Docs document. It's Google Docs. Let's oh, get it right. I'm so, I'm so sorry that you copied a website into a word processing software. The reason you do that is. Because if the internet breaks where you're at, you can still play the game. You I didn't think I'd have it. You, well, you didn't think I'd have a good reason, did you? Well, I, I don't. <laughs> don't I have egg on my face? <laughs> it's okay. So it's Happy Trails Brewing Company. Happy Trails. Happy All Trails. Right. So, so the the, the, the pre question is, uh, this is a question. Basically, I want you to judge me in, in my level of fairness. Uh, did you know that Happy Trails uh, Brewing Company had Blickman Engineering brewing equipment before the show? I had I had heard the name. I've got. Three guys that do our commercial stuff. Okay, and uh, I know a lot of them, but not every single one of them. Yeah, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's your, do you know? I mean, maybe this isn't a fair question to ask you around the spot. Do you know how, how many nano breweries you might have equipment in? Where you it, know, like not not like people <coughs> who have like your stuff, but like people who use like oh yeah, who you yeah, worked with that are commercially brewing with yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we started with our one barrel uh, in two thousand eight, and one of the first that I remember is a brewery called uh, Lawson's Finest Liquids. Uh, in Vermont, and they I, think, I think people have heard of them. Yeah, they yeah. make sip of sunshine. Yeah, they uh, they make they're into that haze game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, were, they were one of the pioneers in the uh, hazy IPAs, and uh, it was great. I got to meet Sean Lawson at a show and talk to him, and super super guy. So probably you know, there's so many of those. Cave Mountain was one of our early ones in uh, New York. 
in the middle of the Catskill Mountains. Um, but I think we've got you know well over 300 wow. uh, breweries that we've done. So I, I narrowed it down to zero. I did a terrible job of narrowing it down. <laughs> Happy Trails, which is the first one I found. I think I think what you've uncovered is is uh, it is in fact good equipment that is just all over the place. Yeah, I mean pe- people make great beer with. with I mean, uh, I, I think anytime you can buy a product that was that was designed and made by someone who started a company because they wanted to make their job easier as a home mm-hmm. brewer. I mean that's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's been it's. You know, it's been super just seeing, you know, the the growth in that part and really now seeing uh, the growth in the that whole nano, you know, segment that, you know, I'd, I had somebody, you know, they said, well, how many breweries can you have in a town? And I was like, well, how many bars can you have in a town? Right. And they're like, well, a lot. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's really neat to see that, you know, there's such an opportunity for these small businesses, you know, to start in, in towns, you know, like the size of Brixton. Well, and I think we are right now. when, when yeah. people say to me, they think the, the, the <clears throat> beer bubble is ready to burst or things like that. I mean, I, I, my thought is very similar to your thought in, in terms of if, if you're not, if your goal is to own a brewery that's between, you know, two and 10 barrels and your goal is to serve beer over the, over the bar to the mm-hmm. people in your neighborhood and you're good at building relationships with the people you live close to, uh, and we're close to it's really hard to n- to have too many breweries yeah because you're going to be able to make a reasonable a reasonable living doing that make if a living. you want mm-hmm. yeah if you want to be rich if you want to be you know if you want to be stone or if you want to be even even smaller than that if you want to be kind of a regional brewer and you want to distribute and you want to make mm-hmm. a lot of beer that, that's actually pretty difficult and there might be a bubble there but for the neighborhood breweries who just want to create community in addition to creating beer it's it seems yeah very and it's been it's been really fun being a being a part of that, you know, and you know I'll go out traveling, you know, to you know different shows and you know different things on vacation. I always try to find a you know small brewery uh, around that might have our equipment yeah. and go say hi. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I'm not necessarily when I do this, I'm not looking necessarily for your equipment, but I do love checking out the small neighborhood breweries oh, yeah. wherever I'm at. Mm-hmm. Just seeing what people are into well from a drinking experience it's always it's always better basically like if there's more than 15 barrels in the back there's there's very the likelihood of you getting to talk to the brewer when you go is is, is much decreased right and it's not because they don't want to talk to you and it's not because they're jackass because they're busy because yeah <laughs> aaron does and not I, and i'm sure tom's pretty busy but i bet you know people come into creation brewing get to talk to tom a, a fair mm-hmm. bit more than they get to talk to uh somebody at a bigger shop yeah well, that was like uh, when we talked to... Hey, he's right Tom said <laughs> <Thompson, that's> exactly right. <laughs> but uh, we, we've, we've talked to multiple brewers about um, not wanting to get over a certain threshold because of that reason. Um, yeah. Just do what you love. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, so as we, we're coming up on time, and I, I want to kind of wrap it up and talk about, like, give, give you a chance to talk about what... Uh, Jason's got a question before I wrap it up. I put my finger up in the air. Actually, no, I did. I did. I did. In fact, have a question, and it, it's more about. So you make really good beer, and if there's any left, uh, if there's not, then I'll just leave that sitting there. But so you you do make really good beer, but your equipment is in many breweries who all potentially make really good beer, and the world is uh, pretty heavy in good beer right now. So what is it that keeps you? home brewing when you've got all these other things going on and you live in a world where your equipment is used to make good beer elsewhere what is it that drives you to keep making beer you know it, it really goes back to the roots of this being a hobby for me 
And, you know, I, I like the chemistry of it. I, you know, I like the gadgets behind it. I mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, always having that goal to have the perfect root A where you hit every number. There's zero, you know, issues you run into and, you know, the beer ferments perfectly and all that. And it's just that, you know, quest for perfection and, yeah. and just the fun of, uh, you know, trying all the different styles. And, and then also, you know, you know, just last night had some friends over, you know, I was out working on the boat and, and, you know, we had some home brews and, you know, uh, yeah. and just had that camaraderie of, of, of things, you know, people coming over saying, Hey, when are you going to make that, uh, uh, that New England IPA again, right? Because I got that recipe from Sean. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> up there, Lawson. You get a Lawson's recipe. That's yeah. that's the real deal, right there. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's always just been just an enjoyable thing, and and that's you know, for me, it was you know, if if uh, if I had to you know brew for a living, uh, I don't think I would I would homebrew because I you know I would be doing that all day long. Right? Yeah. Uh, but then I know people that are are brewers that. Also, still homebrew, right? And you know, we're still members of our homebrew club and all that. So, do all that stuff. Yeah, that's better than the last question I was going to ask. So we'll roll with that. What was your last? What, what was your last question? I'll answer it. Well, I mean, I, no, ask it. I'm I'll not gonna, answer it. All right, let's let's do this. This is going to be really fun. Actually, John, I'm going to have you answer after Jason. No, it's, it's, it's a question I, tailored specifically for you. So, can you talk about um, what it has meant for you to uh, have a hobby? What, what does it mean for you to like to be able to be a part of this? amazing beer thing that does build community that does uh that does kind of help people live out their dreams how does how, what does that mean for you i think it's it's just been super or does he want to answer go ahead i will in, you i will in no, fact so answer, answer for me <laughs> uh as as a as a as a co-host of a uh homebrewing podcast yeah um We've said it before and I'll I'll say it again the the welcoming nature of those people that homebrew has uh, overwhelmed me. The amount of people that have taken time out of their days, out of their lives, to just come have a beer and talk about whatever with complete strangers, who the only thing we have in common is we've made beer, mm-hmm. yeah. has been phenomenal. And I've made good friends. I've had great conversations. Yeah. And it's, it's, been, been, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. All right. Same question, John. And Tumbling. balls and dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I echo a lot of that. You know, it's been... Probably not the last You know, when, when it was just a, a tiny niche, you know, hobby, it was still the same. You know, people were there from all sorts of different walks of life, different political, you know, every, you know, race, religion, and creed and everything. And it, it, the, the joining glue was, you know, the passion to make. Uh, beer and learn and and more than anything and, and the beers just got so much better over the years right. mm. uh, and and just that passion to just continually improve and you know and that's something that i always like to do i'm not one to just let something sit i've always got to improve it or fiddle with it you know or you know take it apart see how it works yeah and, and that's that's really what i've i've done with beer and and uh you know just the whole community and to see how uh you know really the homebrew community drove the craft brew scene and it's really changed you know that whole uh thing in the market i mean geez you know up in right. Fowler, indiana you go into the uh, uh the quick drip and there's craft beer everywhere yeah absolutely. i mean it's like who'd have thought yeah it's certainly it's it certainly become something something more than what it was and i uh i'm gonna ask uh just one more question because it occurred to me we talked over the break um about uh, about things to make your brewing better, and you talked about fermentation, so it being really important. Can you give us the? Because uh, I, I want to give our listeners just that that you have so much experience 
what's the one thing like if I'm a new brewer and you're saying, okay, I want you to focus on something and I want you to get one thing right on your brew day to make the, to make better beer than you made Mm -hmm. the first time. What are you looking at? Uh, obviously sanitation is, is really the number one thing. But after that, really it's, uh, to me, it's fermentation. You know, you've really got to get your, you can take mediocre wort and turn it into great beer by getting a really strong fermentation. You want your, you know, the, the correct quantity of yeast. You want healthy yeast. You want plenty of oxygen, you know, the 10 PPM, you know, of oxygen, uh, so that they can grow and multiply quickly without, you know, having to undergo stress and you want enough nutrients there for them. And, uh, and then the yeast, you know, it's, it's, you know, brewers make wort, yeast makes beer. Right. Uh, you know, so that's how you're going to get your best, uh, best flavor out of and quality out of your beers. They're going to, uh, uh, age better. Um, they're going to clarify better, all of that. And, and you're just going to have some, some great beers. Now the converse is not true. If you have some great wort and you put it through a crappy fermentation, it's going to still taste taste pretty bad. It's going to taste like green apples. That's what happens to me sometimes. (laughs) Uh, then you just bad. call it cider. Yeah, it was, it was uh, cider. that's right. Uh, malt cider. It's malt cider. It's malt cider. My wife actually likes acetaldehyde, so I'm like super on. If I make one of those, she drinks them all, and I'm like, all right, that's fantastic. Even though I just heard recently that acetaldehyde is a precursor for cancer, and I was like, oh well, shit, I better stop giving her that. <laughs> no. uh, John, uh, John Blickman, thank you so much for taking the time to. What's that last name again? To, Name dropper. Name dropper. <laughs> I'm just name dropping. It's my uh, pleasure. It's great to come out and, and see people that are just helping to spread the knowledge and uh, and just have fun with beer. So uh, one more time, a shout out to Crasian Brewing for being incredibly, incredibly gracious, gracious host. Uh, we've we found our, our recording, our second our second recording home here. So thank you again, Tom and Michelle. This has been this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you to you all for listening to the show. If you guys want to find out more about uh, some of the amazing products that, that John Blickman John makes, John Blickman, um, <laughs> along with his uh, engineering team, especially the uh, the oxygenation stone, which you can use to help your fermentations. He just mentioned the beer gun we talked about, um, the annual foundry, which just came out, and I'm going to purchase so I can make two and a half gallons of amazing beer with temperature control fermentation you can check the shows we'll have all those links in the show notes if you would like to reach out to us you can email us at podcast at plato's gravity.com or if you prefer some of the new social methods we are on Porn twitter Hub. we are not on Pornhub. twitter <laughs> instagram yeah <laughs> we might be and i just don't know because here's the thing i do all the social media and jason does not so if we're on porn yeah i just don't trust that he would actually follow through so i'm probably well, jason had his I think pants on so we were he did have his pants on live uh, journal friendster myspace if you want to find us we're there twitter instagram facebook uh and then we also have an untapped page that we don't keep up to date so if you'd like to chide us about that uh you can reach out to us, Send us uh, we are at plato's gravity at all of those places thanks again to listening to the show we will uh talk at you next time until then, uh, get yourself some Blickman products, brew some beer, and uh, have some fun. Bye.